Alice Onlin and Herbert Konings are founding partners of Security Token Group. All opinions expressed by them or guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not represent the views of Security Token Group or its subsidiaries. You should not take any opinion expressed on the show as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow any investment strategy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Security Token Show. We're coming to you from our studio here in sunny Miami, Florida, and I'm your host, Kyle Sondland. With me is my co-host, Herwig Konings. We took a little Thanksgiving turkey break last week, but we're so glad to be back talking to you all once again. And for those of you who are new listeners, you should know that every week the show starts out by covering last week's industry news, followed by the newest security token offerings and a breakdown of the secondary market trading report. That's right. And then we finish off the show with our weekly main topic, which this week is the stimulating topic of security token compliance 101. But of course, we can't get started without first doing the Company of the Week Awards, where we award two companies for making the biggest moves in the industry last week. So who is your pick this week, Kyle? My Company of the Week for episode 71 here is iStocks, a security token exchange we've covered before based in Singapore, who announced this week that they signed an agreement with the Chongqing Monetary Authority to open a security token exchange in China. According to the press release, the agreement recognizes that the new digital securities exchange will bring innovative products and attract technology companies to the southwestern megacity by providing an international platform for fundraising, which iStocks confirmed in a press statement last week. This is the first time that we've actually seen a licensed exchange move forward to get a second jurisdiction's license so that they can operate in multiple different financial markets. Remember, the iStocks exchange went live in Singapore and has multiple trading assets that we're currently doing our best to get more information on. But this also marks one of China's biggest forays into the security spoke token space to date, as historically, they've been relatively timid towards the technology. So I'm sure this is going to drive many new projects and investors to the platform. And I believe it's a great move towards global interest operability for security tokens in the Asian markets. So congratulations to iStocks for their success so far and keep up the great work in innovating and pushing the boundaries for what is possible. Really, really huge, great award there. iStocks is clearly one of the leaders in Asia in the security token industry. And that's a bridge between China and Singapore. That's going to bring those assets to trade across those jurisdictions much, much easier and bring in a lot of different types of capital that's both in Singapore and in China perhaps now to those assets. So great stuff. Keep it up, iStocks. Totally agree. And you can check out, we did an interview with Darius Liu, who is uh, one of the founding team members of iStocks and you can check that out on our blog to hear a little bit more about what they're doing and their perspective on some of these things. So check that out uh, as well. But without that, Herwig, uh, who did you have for your company of the week this week? Well, listeners, my company of the week comes out of Switzerland for announcing an end-to-end platform for tokenized and trading security tokens, and they're fully licensed within the Swiss jurisdiction. And the firm is none other than Signum Bank. So Matthias Imbach... CEO of the Signum Group said, uh, quote, with Designate and Sinex, we bring a blockchain-powered business solution to market, which opens up a world of new opportunities for capital market participants to do their business. And apparently, several firms are already utilizing or will soon begin to utilize their services. So it lists Asset Supervisor, Azimut Group, 
property funding agency, Imozins, real estate token supplier, Crowdly token, electrical automobile firm, wow. BAOK Motors, and a wine funding agency, Effective Wine Capital AG. So a wide range of different opportunities there. Very, very cool. Signum clearly has been working in the background, as I understand it, for over two years now to get all of this infrastructure into place. So again, congratulations to Signum for winning my company of the week this week for developing all of that and launching soon with all these clients. Keep on tokenizing, Signum. That's fantastic. That's that's super exciting. Not only that they have this solution set, but some high quality issuers in many different industries to provide really that value proposition of a security token where it can be any type of asset, any industry, it doesn't matter. Um, and so this is fantastic. Great work from Signum and, and the Swiss jurisdiction is, is uh, you know, a strong one to be in. So we'll be sure to see if we can try to get more information and potentially that data uh, from their, their sign exchange there. So, but anyway, let's get into the news. But before I do, uh, I want you all to know that the articles we cover on this show, they're sourced from stomarket.com slash news, but they're also available for reference in the about description of the podcast itself, wherever you're listening to on. And it's, of course, always available on the Security Token Show Medium blog whenever you want to read into the news that we're discussing on the show. So we get started here this week, headed over to Abu Dhabi, which last month made a milestone offering, uh, you know, licensing the first PFP license to a security token exchange. Now, a PFP license is a private financing platform license. So it's essentially the equivalent of an alternative trading uh, system license here in the U.S. That's an ATS license, right, that we've talked about on the show. There's also multilateral trading facility licenses in the U.K., the MTF. And to top it off, of course, folks, there's also the PTS license or a proprietary trading system license in Japan. Now, all of these are examples of private marketplaces, typically already licensed as broker-dealers in that jurisdiction as a requirement. But to be clear, that is not a national exchange like the NASDAQ or a national security token exchange like Merge. But back to the news, the financial regulators of Abu Dhabi, the Abu Dhabi Global Markets Financial Services Regulatory Authority, wow. <laughs> mouthful, has officially made a partnership with the Israeli Securities Authority, the ISA, to quote, provide a framework for information sharing and for facilitating the movement of startups and transfer of knowledge and talent between the two jurisdictions. And that also includes an accelerator focused on blockchain and fintech applications. So given that they recently approved Liquify, that's the exchange there, I should say, sorry, the private broker dealer uh, with a PFP license. And now this announcement, so you know, probably you could assume that security tokens will be one of those links in this new partnership between the two jurisdictions. Very cool. And as we recently announced on the show that SEC Chairman Jay Clayton is stepping down, as most people expected, now that the transition of power will swing into the other party. But we also saw Bill Hinman, the director of the Division of Corporation Finance at the SEC, uh, also announced his departure. And apparently, according to Turner Wright of Cointelegraph here, Bill chose to focus one of his last speeches on the commission's achievements in regulating crypto during his tenure. He said, quote, being able to apply the federal securities laws to new and emerging technologies like digital assets without having to create an entirely new regulatory framework as some other jurisdictions have had to do is a testament to the flexible nature of our securities 
regime. And he also said that it, quote, has allowed us to keep pace with innovation, facilitate capital formation, and protect investors in a deliberal, deliberate, thoughtful, and effective manner. Wow. So it seems like he's very pro about how he handled it. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's exactly what the I, I, you know, SEC has done with ICOs, enforced securities laws very well, apparently, under Bill Hidman's reign here and, and Jay Clayton. Uh, now we're looking forward to what's next. And the SEC, you know, just proved that point, uh, but they have been busy, but it's not all bad. So SEC has now given one of those rare OKs to cryptocurrency claiming to be a stable coin, but not a security. And the SEC agrees with them. So these cases are really important. So let's break it down. So Bill's very division of the SEC gave a firm called IMVU, described as a social media avatar platform. They were given a no action letter. That means that the SEC won't take any enforcement action against you for issuing their V coin. So specifically, it means that IMVU does not need to register those V coins as a security and therefore doesn't need to follow all those securities laws, meaning it is freely purchasable by anyone on their platform. You see, the situation is that IMVU, the platform, wanted to create a new blockchain-based coin system where there was an unlimited supply of VCoin at a fixed price of 0.004 cents per VCoin and to replace its current system of providing in-platform credits, that's what they do now, for participants to use and purchase virtual goods and services within their platform. So IMVU argued that the coins were not being purchased for profit and focused on the fact that it is immediately usable and only usable within their platform as well as the fact that the platform will actually buy them back at a fixed price. So ultimately it seems that the SEC agreed with their argument and simply you know, gave them some conditions to follow. And they are hefty, so buckle up here. First, IMVU will not use proceeds from the sale of VCoin to finance the implementation of the blockchain-based coin, which has been fully developed and will be fully functional and operational immediately upon its launch before any VCoin is sold. So that's a key one. We all should know this one by now. It's a big no-no for ICOs that you cannot develop with the, the outside funding that you raise for the ICO. You need to have already developed the, the coin and the system. Second, VCoin will be immediately usable for its intended purposes at the time it is sold. So as the platform said, it would, and also that the coins wouldn't be used for anything else but that. So that's very important. And IMVU will also need to impose specific limits on VCoin purchases, conversions, and transfers. This is to enforce the fact that there will be no outside markets or listings or promotions of such kind by the firm or its user base for VCoins, which is another requirement. And VCoin holders will also be subject to KYC AML checks when they establish VCoin wallets and therefore you know, they need to do that on an ongoing basis, which by the way, introduces a compliance requirement, something we're going to talk about later on the show for their blockchain token. And this may not have been an additional cost that they foresaw as a result of doing all this. Definitely for, you know, operating a credit system, you now need to know who your customers are. But again, anyone can go to the platform and buy these tokens, I suppose. So we will discuss these, of course, a little bit more in detail later. And finally, VCoin will be made continuously available in an unlimited quantities and at a fixed price and that IMVU will always generate enough supply of VCoin to maintain VCoin's fixed price 
in order, of course, there to prevent any appreciation, basically, and therefore no speculation on potential profit. Interesting. So that's a whole list there. That's the whole set of conditions yeah. you can follow. You know, it's the precedent, if you will. So a real utility token that's issued from that platform that's not a security. So if you have managed to do it right, you know, including turnkey jets and pocket full of quarters, we've talked about both of them on the past before as well, you know, but it's, it's something to follow if you're interested in that subject. And finally, I've been covering the growth for some time now of the digital yuan. That's the central bank digital currency or the CBDC by the Chinese government. Now, it looks like the U.S. intelligence community is concerned about this trend and sees it as a competitive threat, according to Director of National Intelligence John Ratcliffe, who sent a letter to Jay Clayton about the need for crypto firms to stay competitive in the U.S. and the concerns of China's dominance in Bitcoin mining, as well as the digitization of its economy with this CBDC, challenging potentially the dominance of the American dollar, or worse, being used to better spy on its own citizens and infringe upon them. So definitely we'll see what that means. Moving into companies announcements, we're kicking off with some news responding to China's growth on CBDCs there with Japan's focus on a digital yen. So in this case, it's not the central bank of Japan, but the three largest banks in Japan and actually a consortium of 30 others, they've come together to develop this digital yen stablecoin. So it's a fascinating approach coming from the, com the commercial sector here, which we actually saw similarly happen with security tokens where investment banks from a set formed a self-regulating organization, an SRO, around security tokens with you know, regulator approval. MUFG, Mizuho Financial Group, and Sumitomo Mitsuo Financial Group represent hundreds of billions of dollars in combined assets. So this could be the start of a major digitization effort in Japan's banking sector. And also Societe Generale's forged security token arm and BNP Paribas announced blockchain partners for their digital stablecoin efforts for use with their banking systems. So we reported on Societe Generale and their partnership with Consensus and obviously their support for Ethereum. But BNB Paribas, who partner with Tokeny, announced that they will support Ethereum as well as Tezos. So that was a big win for Tezos blockchain there uh, as they explore you know, digitizing their systems with blockchain. So these projects often take a long time to come to fruition, but can lead to other partners signing on. So hopefully we hear some results for these projects early next year. And Circle's USDC coin was part of a, something what I think is pretty cool in order to deliver aid to Venezuelans who are currently experiencing a humanitarian crisis. Through, through a collaboration with the Bolivarian Republic of Venezuela that's led by President-elect Juan Guaido, I think I said that right, probably wrong, US-based fintech innovator AirTM and coordination with the US government were able to put in place an aid disbursement pipeline that leveraged the power of USDC dollar-backed open internet-based digital currency payments to bypass the controls imposed by Maduro, the incumbent, over the domestic financial system and also put millions of dollars in funds, of course, in the hands uh, to put uh, into the fighting from uh, against Venezuela. So a powerful use case, I think, here for stablecoin. And personally, I love it. I hopefully it can actually do some good uh, because I, as I understand it, probably stores still need to accept USDC coins for commercial purposes. Uh, and I know that's not easy to roll out overnight. And in a major partnership announcement last week, the Hong Kong Stock Exchange introduced Synapse, a settlement acceleration platform for northbound Stock Connect in collaboration with Digital Asset and DTCC. So the new integrated platform powered by 
DAML smart contracts, eliminates sequential processes and offers a single source of truth for the settlement of securities and produces accurate and timely status updates. And an integration with DTCC's institutional trade processing services also enables international investors to automate and expedite the settlement process on the Synapse platform. So it's a major digitization play using the HKX Synapse platform, and I'm sure we'll see some other big clients turn to it and use it. And Skyhook Capital, which is a fintech SaaS platform that provides institutional investors access to digital securities, has partnered with Singaporean-based Propine on for tokenization and custody services. So specifically, Propine will extend its digital custodial and lifecycle management and reporting services to Skyhook Capital's uh, end customers, whose assets will then remain in custody. And issuers will be supported with services including development of smart contracts, token issuance, and post-issuance administration. So it sounds like a strong partnership between the two firms. Looking forward to what comes out of it. And Forensic Art Certification Technology, Inc., that's fact, has chosen CurrencyWorks to build an art authenticity blockchain. So that's right. This blockchain is designed to prevent forgeries and art crime through authenticity verification, condition reporting, and collection management. So in response to the deal, Bruce Elliott, CurrencyWorks' president, said, quote, every year $6 billion in black market for art uh, that the FBI estimates worth of art is sold around the world. And an estimated 20% of them are forgeries. Fact uses forensic science to validate the authenticity of original works to sniff out fraud and put an end to the $6 billion art forgery market. One could hope that this could even lead to an art sale, potentially an ownership transfer solution by fact as well. So let's go security tokens. And Redblock Capital also announced a partnership with Huochain, which is Huobi's enterprise division, in order to accelerate blockchain adoption in China. As part of this collaboration, Redblock will have access to Huobi's network of technology and investment parties, and both parties will work together to roll out asset digitization use cases for enterprise. So huge news is Redblock is a critical partner in China for any international blockchain company. Keep up the security token evangelism, Redblock and Huochain. And as Kyle mentioned earlier, there's another interview with uh, Redblock's uh, founding partner, I believe. Uh, so you can go check that out on the Security Token Group Medium blog as well. Yeah, we're partners with them. They're a great partner. They do a lot of good work. Congrats to Redblock. Finally, I have a newcomer in the real estate liquidity space, and I love it when newcomers bring an innovative model to the marketplace, and their name is Goldgate. So Goldgate claims it is the world's first global real estate exchange where investors from around the world can buy and sell shares in ultra-luxury residential real estate for the purposes of property appreciation and personal use. So as Dalton Scotch, the CEO and founder of Goldgate says it, quote, Goldgate is going to change the way that people live, invest, and travel forever. You don't have to be confined to one property in one location. Goldgate offers the opportunity to become a citizen of the world. Hmm. And that's a fascinating concept, like a tokenized timeshare with a secondary market for it, potentially by usage as well. However, there is no clear uh, use case here that they're saying that they're going to use blockchain. Uh, they do say that one uh, share is equal to one month of ownership, and uh, that's about it. So I'll try to find out more, and, and I assume inevitably they will leverage it down the line, I'm sure. But maybe the security token industry can convince them to do it sooner rather than later. And finally, I've got lots of resources and opinions for you that I'm going to run through, given that we have two weeks of content to go over. The first is a nice piece on tech bullying by Angela Scott Briggs, explaining that tokenized securities are already here and gives plenty of examples, helping spread the gospel of security tokens. So great job, Angela. 
And next we have a piece on BIS Now, which you do need to register to see, but it is free. And the article is about the tokenization of commercial real estate and it's slow growth, but for the pandemic, it may actually speed it all up. So it's a pretty in-depth piece by Christy Moffat, featuring Red Swan, by the way, and other real estate industry participants. So definitely worth a read if you're into real estate tokenization. And Robert C. Brighton Jr. of Becker Lawyers wrote a review of Reg CF and the security token space, including a detailed description of how the process works and the rules. So it's always nice to hear from lawyers' mouth if you want to check that one out. And an article on entrepreneur.com by Sudeep Mazumdar titled, Can Cryptocurrencies and Security Tokens Help Boost the Indian Economy? And also, you can guess what the article was about, advocating for, of course, yes, it can. But given India is currently not sure of its course of action, uh, there is no certainty on this. So hopefully this article helps convince them to regulate security tokens the right way in India. And on Hacker Noon, a fairly lengthy read, I'd say about 10 to 15 minutes, was published by Sergey Golubev on tokenization being the engine to the economy of the future. So he highlights challenges and benefits and the background of tokenization. I think it flows nicely and it's a nice overview of everything. So great job. Sergey Hackernoon has a lot of crypto enthusiasts and that need to learn more about asset tokenization. And this just does exactly that. And last but definitely not least, the Securities Industry and Financial Markets Association, or SIFMA, has released a white paper called Security Tokens, Current Regulatory and Operational Considerations for Broker-Dealers and a Look Towards the Future. And it was co-authored also by PricewaterhouseCoopers. So the paper highlights the benefits of tokenization and walks through the security token lifecycle. It's very robust. While SIFMA highlights a variety of issues across the lifecycle of security to consider, the white paper focuses on three key questions which need to be addressed by stakeholders and regulators for the market to fully develop, they say. That's, is distributed ledger technology sufficiently robust to act as the registrar or to satisfy industry participants' books and record requirements? Can a broker-dealer meet possession of control requirements, i.e. SEC Rule 15C3-3, customer protection, reserves, and custody of securities when using distributed ledger technology-based systems? And finally, whether certain parties involved in the clearing and settlement of a transaction require <laughs> registration as a clearing agency. So check it out when you get a chance. Highly worth the read. It's roughly a 30-page report. Very well developed. And that's the full rundown from the last two weeks for you all. Kyle, what industry webinars do we have coming up? Wow. Well done, Herwig. That was a full two-week hefty episode of industry news. As I'm sure all of our listeners can attest to, things are happening all around the world. There's developments coming from every different country, every different continent. And it's just the really awesome and exciting thing about the blockchain industry, but really with security tokens and democratizing finance. So moving into some industry events, we have two. The first one is by STO Box, and they hosted a great conference focused on security tokens about two weeks ago. And if you missed it, you can catch the full event on STO Box's YouTube channel. So they hosted the Digital Assets Investment Conference, which covered topics including some of the common mistakes of businesses used that when tokenizing, the legal aspects of digital assets and security tokens, the future of regulation, tokenization models in real estate, and the best practices and typical mistakes of marketing digital assets. The firm also hosted a full workshop and demo of their tokenization platform. So they did a really good job of putting together high quality content for the industry from an educational perspective, as well as a demo of their technology that you could potentially work with them if there's any interest. So check out the video replay of the full conference and all of their different segments to learn more about any of these topics 
and to, to get a better idea of STO Box's event. That was the Digital Assets Investment Conference. Well done, STO Box. And then finally, we have real estate issuance platform SolidBlock, which is hosting a kickoff event for their newest real estate security token offering in partnership with real estate firm London Chelsea. So the firms are launching the London Digital Bond, which is a tokenized property fund that invests in UK residential real estate. So at the launch event, they're going to be breaking down their investment thesis and the plans for the offering. They're also going to be covering the current investment climate in England and some of the great opportunities that security tokens provide when investing in real estate. So you can tune into that on Wednesday, December 2nd, which is tomorrow as of publishing, and it's at 11 a.m. Eastern time. So this seems like a fantastic event and one you don't want to miss, but you got to reserve your spot. You can't just show up. So you got to click on the Eventbrite link in the description of wherever you're listening to to sign up. We'll also cover the terms of this London digital bond in next week's episode when we get more information on the structuring of what that one looks like. And that's it for the events and webinars we had this week. So remember, you can submit any industry news or events at stomarket.com news. You can submit it there and we'll maybe cover it on the show. Moving into the security token updates, we have one from Tanaga Resorts. And so this is the Tanaga Beach Resort, which you may recall is that real estate security token offering that's raising money to build a full beach resort. And according to the issuer, the land valuation of the property is about eight and a half million. The budget to build the resort is about 12 and a half million. So on top of the equity appreciation of the real estate, the additional revenue returns will commence starting in December 2020, where they're actually going to be selling private luxury villas on the property as well. So it's a hotel as well as some private property. And the first stage of approximately 20 villas will generate approximately 15 million is what they estimate. And the second will generate 30 million in sales. So the net income from these sales will be shared pro rata with token holders through uh, the time of sale at 2020, 2023 to 2024 is when that's estimated. So the firm announced via press release that the pre-listing sale has begun and the tokens are currently selling for 50% off for the first million that they raise through the fundraise, at which point then it goes back to the 20 cents per token, which is what they're selling at right now. Right now, again, it's at 10 cents until they, they raise that first million. So go check out Tanaga Island if you're interested in, in a real estate tokenization opportunity. They are currently fundraising their live now. And moving into some new security token offerings, the first one is from Level01, a DeFi platform for derivatives trading for commodities and digital assets that announced the launch of a private placement subscription offer for its upcoming security token offering in Asia scheduled at the end of the year. The fundraise will be open through the end of this year, so it's it's now until the end of the year, to institutional, family office, and accredited high net worth individuals. The firm already did sell an ICO in 2018 and will be converting all of their existing utility tokens in the firm's treasury into the security token using a predefined exchange rate. It's not clear if they're going to be doing the same for public utility token holders or if that's just for their treasury management, but they will be doing that. Level 01 plans to list their security token, which is going by the ticker of LV1, on the Fusong exchange after the fundraise. So we've heard a lot of excitement about Fusong going live. We're still waiting for them to list their first security token. Potentially Level 1 could, could offer that opportunity. The LV1 will offer a revenue share on fee income derived from the platform, as those returns are also fully backed by the purchase of gold assets. And I was trying to do a little bit of research on this. I couldn't find exactly what their 
their their gold reserves looked like or what that process was like or if maybe they'll purchase it after they do this fundraiser. Again, I'm not exactly sure, but it does say that, again, this is revenue sharing, just like what you're familiar with with the traditional exchange. But then again, there's this backed by purchased gold assets piece is interesting. And the STO team will be led by Heritage Horizon Capital, which is their, their financing partner, supported by a fintech partner, AG Delta, legal advisory through GLT Law, and they were audited in Hong Kong and Malaysia, specifically by KL Tong & Co, as well as Yong and Leonard. So you can find out more at level01.io, but uh, congrats to them for, for listing their token and, and, and successfully moving forward with that process. The second new security token is trying to bridge the gap between the security token world and DeFi, selling a security token representing equity in a decentralized protocol. In this case, we're talking about Crescofin, which is a decentralized lending platform providing deposits and loans linked to the real economy backed by insurance that is all available on chain. The company currently has 10 million equity tokens outstanding, which exactly matches the one-to-one -one number of shares outstanding for the company. The share capital is fully paid up and the company is registered in the Registry of Commerce in Geneva, Switzerland with a tax ID and ISIN number, signifying the official registration of the asset under Swiss law. From here, it gets a little bit more complicated, so bear with me. It seems like these equity tokens, which go by the ticker CRES, CRES will then be listed on Balancer which is a decentralized exchange similar to Uniswap. On Balancer, the equity token is staked into the Balancer protocol, essentially locking your shares up. In exchange, you're given a separate token, in this case, wrapped CRES, which would go by the ticker of WCRES, which represents the derivative of the CRES token that you originally staked. At this time, you can trade the wrapped Cress on Balancer, essentially selling your shares of the underlying Cresco Fin equity along with that wrapped derivative. In order to register to vote and receive dividends, the token holder has to actually swap the wrapped Cress tokens for the underlying equity asset. This requires a KYC AML check, which is managed by an in-house compliance officer at CrescoFin. So this is a similar process managed by Mount Pelerin, as Swiss law is less strict on the trading of securities than in the US, and the investor only needs to be KYC'd once they actually claim ownership of the asset through voting or dividend claims, which means that this wrapped variant is much easier to trade around. You don't need to necessarily KYC AML it until, again, you go to, to claim those dividends or voting. And this is not legal advice for sure. Certainly, definitely need to speak with your legal counsel if you're looking to do anything like this. I'm just reading from what I could find online through my own research. And if they are just, if you're just buying and selling the asset, you don't need to go through that KYC AML process just for speculation. It's really for that voting and for the dividends. So it doesn't seem like the Crest token is going to be available for purchase by US investors. It seems like this is probably just a, a European or, or international opportunity, but still very exciting. So in addition to being listed on Balancer and leveraging a Uniswap liquidity pool, these tokens will also be listed on a new decentralized exchange, Dodo. So you can click on any of the links in the description to read more about Crescofin. They, they did a very good job of putting out a lot of research and a lot of content. I'm going to need some more time to really dig in and get a better idea of how Balancer, Uniswap, and now Dodo all interact and potentially we'll dive into that in the main topic in the future.
That's a really cool and complex and wonderful breakdown you did there, Kyle. Definitely sounds like we'll have to spend an episode on that more uh, because that's some great innovation. Congrats, Cresco. Yeah, so hopefully you all hung in there and, and followed that. Again, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to, to me or Herwig Twitter or LinkedIn. And we love to have conversations. We love to keep keep everybody together and talk about this stuff. So um, let us know if you have any questions. And then going into the market update, the final piece of news in my segment before we move into the market update from a secondary market trading perspective is that we had an announcement from Security Token Market. And as you may know, Security Token Market is a business that we launched in 2018 to track the security token industry, providing data and analysis on primary and secondary offerings around the world. And we just announced that we're joining the Japan Security Token Association as the official market data provider. So the JSTA is a group of 38 members focused around the security token adoption, and we're proud to be just the third U.S.-based company to join the organization. The goals of the partnership are to bring together our financial jurisdictions by standardizing the concepts of our industry through media and analysis while also bringing global financial transparency by tracking and reporting on all security tokens worldwide. This is going to help us bring you, our dear listeners, even more accurate data across the site and here on the show. So a big thank you to the chairman of the JSTA, Go Masuda, who has been incredibly supportive of our efforts and working with us to join the association. This is exciting stuff and hopefully it brings even more great content in the future. And then moving into the secondary market trading update, as always, the, all of the news that we have here as we've covered in the, in, throughout the podcast, as well as the pricing data and live updating prices is sourced from stlmarket.com. And so this week, when we're looking at the secondary market, the total STL market cap was $451 million, which is actually up 5% from where we were two weeks ago, led by a strong rebound by overstock as well as real estate. So Overstock's security token is up 14% over the last period, which follows a strong increase by the public shares over the same time frame. And it's currently doing about $100,000 in volume per week, which is healthy trading volume, but certainly much, much lower than what we were seeing over the summer, that really strong period where the tokens were trading for, it seemed like about a million USD in trading volume each week, as opposed to maybe 10% of that today, which again coincides with, with the price and, and maybe some of the sentiment around the asset. That being said, it's up this week, so everybody's happy. T0 has not really followed that trend as it was down 16% over the last two weeks. And, and I guess this makes sense as the Aspen security token really hasn't seen a ton of tr- volume. And realistically, that's the only token that's actually generating revenue for the T0 shareholders. So as Overstock waived their trading fees on their own token, which was nice and and great for additional trading, but it did hurt the value prop of the T0 token. So I think we're kind of in that same place that we were in the beginning of the year where the token desperately needs more assets to trade on the exchange to, to create more of that trading volume and a little bit more excitement. I mean, Aspen is a nice addition, but it's it seems like the investors feel that there needs to be more options just based off of how these assets are trading, which does result in more trading volume if they could bring in some more assets and in turn more fees that would contribute to that expected dividend for the TZROP shareholders. Because again, if you own those TZRO shares, you don't own equity in the, the marketplace. You actually get that, that revenue share asset. So you're looking for more of those trading fees to generate 
more cash. Real estate bounced back strong over the extended period as well, with most properties in the black headlined by Patton Street and Audubon Road, which were up 24% and 22% respectively. So many of these tokens saw an extreme increase in trading volume as well, as the entire sector was up around 6% on average. The other property to note was Fullerton Avenue, which is a multifamily apartment complex and the largest property by market cap that's listed and trading on Uniswap at around $600,000 in market cap. And this is also the one that had the fire. If you remember, we covered this maybe a month or two ago. They actually had a fire in a couple of the units. Nobody was hurt and a lot of renovations are happening. But again, that's a negative sign. Uh, you certainly, you know, a fire in a real estate property, you'd expect the asset to, to struggle while they, they sort that out. However, the property is up 5% this week. It's it's covered well past where the price was pre-fire. And it actually had over $50,000 in trading volume in just the last two weeks alone, which is crazy. That's that's just more than most of these properties see over a month. I think we saw about 100,000 in total trading volume on Uniswap last month. So about 50,000 just two weeks from one property is insane. That's fantastic news. And it really shows there's some real interest in these assets and proves the success of Uniswap as a liquidity provider. People are easy, easily getting in, easily getting out. They're able to transfer and, and swap these things. It's just, a, it's a great altogether to prove the, the case of Uniswap and, and uh, fantastic work from Realty issuing these tokens that just continue to succeed. That's really great. It's nice to see some of these assets bouncing back. I mean, some of these real estate properties really have been incredibly successful over the year. And I look forward to the Security Token Market 2020 report to see how they've performed the last full two, 12 months. You know, that's the real deal to kind yeah. of evaluate the one year profile. So looking forward to that later. And as we move into the final month of the year here, we'll go back and, of course, review our predictions from January and calculate the total market growth. But for now, we've got a main topic to get to, compliance for STOs. Now that is sexy stuff. So compliance might not be totally sexy, Herwig, but it really should be where your attention is. Compliance is the difference of having to pay huge fines to regulators, having a tainted brand from bad press, or needing to return all of the money you just raised from STO investors. I mean, that's absolutely right. I've seen it all from ICOs to STOs, and as many of you listeners on the show already know, I started a compliance technology called Invest Ready before starting Security Token Group, so I consider myself somewhat familiar with compliance, specifically for fundraising in the US. And our customers are equity crowdfunding portals and issuers doing digital fundraisers. So I do think I know this stuff pretty well, but please, folks, do know I am not an attorney. Despite the fact that many people often seem to think you are. <laughs> And every day I love saying that to them that I am not. Personally, I'm not a fan actually of the role that attorneys do need to play, but it's such an important one. And I do love many actual securities attorneys and I'm always happy to recommend one to you. You absolutely need to use a security attorney if you're doing an STO. There are simply no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Yes, and as you said, they are the key to making sure that you don't ruin your security token offering. So how did you want to break down compliance for STOs, man? I mean, should we walk through an offering maybe? Actually, before we do that, let's remind our listeners that there are over 130 different financial jurisdictions all around the world. And guess what? Each one of them has their very own set of securities laws and compliance requirements. The biggest challenge for issuers and one of the most magnificent things I think about security tokens is the ability to pre-program compliance and digitally enforce it using blockchain and software. This is why the future is global, not local. And that is, I believe, where we're going to see a major increase in global 
self-financing as a result of security token technology. So when it comes to doing an STO, an issuer needs to be aware that the compliance requirements exist in their own country as well as the world. And in most scenarios, either the local jurisdiction doesn't care about foreign investors as much, like in the United States, they only care about taxes and fraud. And then other countries where international investors have a much more difficult time, such as in Singapore, where many security token exchanges aren't even open to US investors currently. So, you know, lots of compliance things you need to be considering. All right, so step one, you gotta talk to your attorney about your local laws around fundraising and also how the regulators and the law treats foreign investors as well if you plan to accept them for your offering, right? Yes, exactly. And so step two is that this is the step that most people forget. You need to know the rules for the outside jurisdictions as well. So for some of the bigger issuers and fundraisers, some of them invest in legal firms in every major region they are considering accepting investments. Other solutions include leveraging existing providers like issuance and crowdfunding platforms that have already supported specific countries. And also even my company InvestReady is a solution that currently covers 50 jurisdictions to help you make sure the investor you accept from that region is allowed to invest. So all in all, to summarize what you're saying is that for a security token offering, you need to consider regulations of each jurisdiction that you wanna support, which can be a fairly big investment in both time and setup. But alternatively, some security token platforms and solutions can help you navigate this much more easily and that enforcing and managing this can be done through software and blockchain instead of doing it fully manually, right? Yep. Uh, iComply, for example, is an entirely dedicated compliance solution you can build out based on the jurisdictions you are supporting and from where you're fundraising from. But now let's get into the actual offering example like you mentioned, Kyle. Your local jurisdiction is going to have some kind of fundraising framework for you to use for your STO. That fact that blockchain tokens are involved shouldn't change much of what is done from a compliance standpoint when it comes to following securities laws. If anything, as you said, Kyle, it makes it easier to follow. What is important is recognize how much you want to raise, whether you raise it privately or publicly, and also who you want to raise it from. So you said there are three things to determine the size of the offering, the method of the fundraising, and the type of investor that you want to support. So then let's make up an offering example. Let's say we're here in the US, we want to raise two million for a real estate project privately from anyone in the world. Where would we go from there? Well, in this case, you could use regulation crowdfunding exemption here in the US, which now soon will support up to 5 million in funding right. rounds, right? And allows you to raise from anyone in the US as well as outside of it. So they have specific rules and compliance requirements for issuers that use RegCF and you need to find a sponsor. This would be called a licensed funding portal or a broker dealer in the US. And the attorneys and sponsor would explain to you the requirements, some of which may even differ in stringency based on the sponsor itself in order to keep their own quality of deals for their investor base high, right? All right. So you're saying based on those three factors, you'd likely need to leverage a different part of the fundraising framework in your jurisdiction. Like if you wanted to do 10 million instead of 2 million, what changes? Well, now Reg CF would no longer be sufficient, right? And your options could either be Reg CF to raise up to 5 million there and then raise another 5 million from private investors using Reg D. There you get your 10 million. Or you could try to just use Reg A plus to raise the full 10 million instead, another exemption. This one requires SEC approval. Uh, or you could always go public, but that likely doesn't make sense for an offering uh, you know, of that size. 
And listeners, if you are hearing all of these exemption buzzwords for the first time, then I highly recommend you take 10 minutes to listen to episode 53 of the show where we cover all of this. You can find the clip on YouTube and you'll get the rundown. Yeah, so you know that we do the main topics here after we do all of the news and we publish all those main topics separately. 53 is a great one to cover all these fundraising exemptions. You gotta check that one out. It's a, it's a core of security tokens and fundraising here in the States. But also, I get your point, Herwig. I don't think that we need to get dragged into a bunch of different examples, but simply based on whether you want to raise it privately or publicly, how much you want to raise, and who you raise it from will all affect the fundraising exemptions that are available to you based on the financial framework in your home jurisdiction, which may mean more compliance requirements or specific limitations, like only raising a certain amount or being limited to a certain number of people. Yeah, that is correct. And that sets the stage for compliance moving forward too. There will be requirements from a primary offering perspective, right? That's the fundraise itself. And also from a secondary trading perspective as well. We're talking about lockup periods, who it can trade to, the reporting requirements. All these things are determined by the fundraising exemption and the framework. What about KYC? I mean, we mentioned it earlier in the episode and it's obviously very, very important. <laughs> it's absolutely, definitely very important, Kyle. It's almost a, a universal requirement. So KYC stands for know your customer and it's almost always paired with AML, which stands for anti-money laundering. So when you take money from an investor you don't know, you want to and typically are legally required to, to do a KYC AML check. And of course, many software solutions and service providers have dedicated tools to make this easy to do. But of course, these rules and requirements change based on each jurisdiction as well. So always keep that in mind. Also, these checks don't necessarily need to be one-offs as people can and do change, right? And so these checks may be run repeatedly on people depending on how safe you want to be as a platform like a secondary exchange or a bank or the issuers themselves. So tying it all together, we're really talking about the fundraising framework determining how much you can raise and from who and then the financial regulations that need to be followed from each jurisdiction that you want to support. But the powerful technology of security tokens does enable us to enforce and follow these rules much easier via programmatic platforms. And of course, you need a great securities attorney or most likely several to navigate this whole thing. Yeah, and from a Compliance 101 perspective, that is all absolutely right. Insurance platforms and attorneys are designed to make this easier for you, but keep in mind that there are off, you know, come with operational changes that you need to consider too, like needing to report financial performance to investors if you go public or use Rule 144 in the financial framework in the US. All these things need to be considered and evaluated as an issuer when you are preparing to do a security token offering. And that's all about uh, what I have to say on compliance, Kyle. So while everybody likes to focus on the fundraising and all the, the exciting parts of, of a security token offering and the blockchain and all these great buzzwords, the sexy stuff, this is the things that you need to focus on to do it right. I think people are going to appreciate this, Herwig, despite the fact that, again, it's it's a little bit more of a nuts and bolts kind of a thing. It's, it's just these are rules that you have to follow. And I mean, we all saw what happened to even some of the most high-profile ICOs that didn't follow the rules. The same will be with security token offerings that don't follow the rules. And again, the rules are pretty clear. It's not that difficult to follow them. You just got to find a good attorney to work with. And that sounds like a wrap for this episode, folks. So remember, submit any news or articles to stomarket.com slash news. Reach out to us directly on Twitter, LinkedIn, wherever it's convenient for you, Instagram, we're everywhere. Um, and uh, keep the conversation going. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. Yeah, and if you need help considering all this stuff, shoot us a message at Security Token Advisors. 
Meanwhile, thank you for taking the time to listen, and I look forward to talking to all of you again next week. Mm-hmm.